Hi, my name's Paul Malin. Welcome to the Life and Death of a Tax Investigation. Throughout this series of podcasts, we will consider the beginning, the middle and the end of a tax investigation. During the Life and Death of a Tax Investigation, we'll cover topics such as answering the initial challenge by HMRC, how to work out penalties, and then how to make a disclosure to HMRC. You can contact me for further clarification either on 07979 313 010 or my email address paul at pmc.tax. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome to another podcast by Paul Mailing of Paul Mailing Consultancy. Today I'm going to be talking about submitting a full disclosure report on behalf of a taxpayer. For some people it might seem a fairly straightforward matter to do, but for others who may appreciate the complications that taxpayers have, the submission of the report itself is a key moment in time. I said in previous podcasts that at the very beginning of inquiry one of the things I have to think about are penalties and this is the charge for what has gone wrong being a civil matter so it's another percentage of the tax again on top of the tax that should have been paid and interest for late payment of that tax. It can be up to 100% of the tax again if it's what they call a UK matter but if it's an overseas matter then depending on which country it is in the world, it can actually be up to 200% of the tax again. So it can be very expensive. So when it comes to submitting the report, I recommend to most taxpayers that it's in their interest, if they can, to make payments on account as they go along, one per month or one per week, whatever they can afford, just to reduce the overall cost and it shows goodwill to HMRC, which may be taken into account favourably in determining the level of penalties to be applied. Penalties start at the top and come down, they don't start at the bottom and go up. So for example, if it is a matter that is in the UK, that HMRC will start at 100% and mitigate, reduce that amount for what is given to them, said to them, etc. They don't start at zero and work up. So submitting the report, what I try to achieve is that firstly, where there are complications is to involve not just my client, the taxpayer, but HMRC whenever and wherever I can. And to involve them, what I will be doing is to have regular updates by email, it may be, or telephone calls. But there may also be the need for what we call progress meetings. So it shows that we're on target to deliver the final report with all the bells and whistles in it, all the calculations in one month, two months, six months time, whatever it may be. And at the progress meetings, I will introduce a particular topic. If at the end of the day, I want HMRC to understand what the problem is, what the potential treatments might be for UK tax purposes and why I believe a particular route is the route to follow based on the content of my report. 
I will fight my client's corner whenever and wherever I can. So if there is more than one route that this matter can be resolved by doing, and one route is cheaper in terms of money than the other, then naturally I will go for the cheapest option. If you just introduce that matter when you submit the report, you might find that HMRC are like rabbits that are startled in the headlights of the car such that they don't know which way they're going to go. Naturally, what I want them to do is to go the way that I've written in the report. So by having the progress meetings, you can start to guide HMRC into a particular way of thinking so that when the report is submitted, there are no surprises. It may not mean that they accept it, and it may mean that they've already thought of an alternative route, but when they see the final report, they can then see all the evidentials, all the relevant facts that I've gathered together in support of the treatment that I am proposing in the report. It doesn't always work, but I would like to think that over 90% of the time, my recommendations are followed, maybe not 100%, but again, 80 or 90% of the time. So I do get my way. But that's all down to the, the planning, the way that you treat HMRC, my way is to involve them and don't leave it till the, the submission of the report for them to sign, find something out that they didn't know about beforehand. Now there can be things that are very confidential that need to go into the report. For that reason, it may be that we have to agree code names, code words, such that you substitute the name Mallard, as in a duck is a Mallard, and you refer to it as Mallard rather than Mr. Smith, Mrs. Jones, or the business of XYZ Limited or whatever. It now has the code word Mallard. Now, obviously, that needs to be agreed in advance, and it also takes a lot longer to understand any form of report if you have to mentally keep exchanging the word Mallard for Mr. Smith, Mrs. Jones, whatever it may be. So you have to have a good understanding of what the bases are before you agree these sort of code words. But it can be done, and it is often done, particularly where something is sensitive for whatever reason. HMRC, when they receive the report, will expect everything to be finalised. That's a perfect world. In my reports, yes, I always summarise what the taxable amounts may be for each taxpayer for each tax year. I don't work out the amount of tax or the amount of interest that comes out, out at the next later stage. That's because it may be that I have the view that the amount of £10,000 is taxable on Mrs Jones and in 2022, whereas HMRC may think, no, it's taxed on Mr Smith and Mrs Smith in 2021. So there's pointless doing all the calculations if they've all got to be changed. So my reports simply say what the taxable amounts are on each taxpayer for each year. And there's an element of negotiation still to be done because it may be that rather than the full £10,000 in that example is taxable and in one year, it may be taxed at only half the amount and it may then be spread over three years. That's part of the negotiations. It may also be that We've identified that 
some funds, some money has been received. So it's gone into a bank account and we know the date, we know the amount, but we don't necessarily know if it is taxable in the UK at all. So therefore it's in the report to be negotiated. It may be that it's only taxable in a different jurisdiction around the world and there's no further tax consequence in the UK. This is particularly the case where the other tax jurisdiction have higher tax rates than those in the UK. So there's a lot to be included in the submission of the disclosure report. In a previous podcast, we've discussed about having an opening meeting with the taxpayer, etc. When I submit a report, I don't normally have the taxpayer with me, but they're more than welcome to attend if they wish. But I do have an equally, if not longer, meeting with HMRC simply to go through all this extra information. Again, what I say in the report is that any further documentation or explanation is available upon request, because it's not always physically possible to walk in, not just with perhaps a six volume report, each volume of 90 pages of A4 and all the supporting documentation, because you might need two juggernauts just to bring it all in. So at this meeting at which I submit the report, I normally go through and guide the reader, the inspector, as to how they might find their way around it. As I've said previously, some people would summarise the report right at the end of each volume, whereas I prefer to summarise the report right at the beginning. That way, if the reader wants to find out more detail as to where that number has come from, they can look deeper into the report at a later stage. It's horses for courses. Everybody works differently. There's no one way a report should be written. There's no set way that a report should be submitted. It's the fact that by pure coincidence, in other words, it's not manufactured by me, that the report tends to go in around Christmas time. It's just the way that things tend to work out for some strange reason. And I've often been told that after the report's gone in, the staff at HMRC will use the Christmas holiday to read the report. And not just once, it could be twice or three times. And if it's the paper version of the report, it used to be certainly the case that they would get two copies of the report. One which is kept in pristine condition as a final version. The other, for the inspector, to write in the, in the margin whatever their thoughts are about that particular paragraph, that number or whatever, so that they can come back and revisit it when they've got a bit more understanding as to what the rest of the report contains. So by submitting the report, it's always best to go through H with HMRC to guide them as to, well, this is where that figure is, this is where it's broken down, this is where further explanations are given, etc., etc. And it's surprising that it can easily take three, four, or even five hours to submit that report and get all that information conveyed across. So the report is in, and it may take HMRC a week, a month, two months, or whatever, simply to digest the content of that report. Not because it's so complicated, but they've got their own job to do, and it may be that they've got three or four other taxpayers with other advisors 
and they're submitting their reports at the same time. So you have to take your turn. So submitting the report is not the end of it. I've said previously that I suggest that people make payments on account as they go through, such that when HMRC have then read the report and they start putting pen to paper in terms of coming up with calculations, then they can see whether or not the taxpayer is on course to have made the payments on account to match the amount of tax due. If it does, then all that's left to pay is the interest on the late payment of that tax and the penalties. And the subject of penalties is due to negotiations between the tax advisor and HMRC, which will be the subject of another podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please give me a call 07979 313 010 or my email is paul at pmc.tax. If you've got any questions you want to ask me, my telephone number is 07979 or contact me by email at paul at pmc.tax. Thank you for listening.